Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys tonight, especially during our Open Phone America hour, uh, the third hour of the evening. And our telephone number is one eight three three four valdez one eight three three four v a l d e s. And I think I've been giving out the wrong number <laughs> the last few days, so I'm not giving out the number no more. I'll get, I'll check it later and I'll give it to you. But uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Friday, and today is the two year anniversary of Joe Biden's. Uh, presidency, January 20th. And man, I got to tell you, uh, he thinks he's doing a good job. Listen to this. The pandemic was raging. Our economy was reeling, but we acted together. Now, two years in, it's clearer than ever that our plan's working. We're building the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not just the top down. So two years in, and it's been revealed that the Department of Justice was working with the White House to conceal classified documents, which are scandalous to say the least uh, we also have inflation right now with inflation being lower than it was the last two months it's still at six and a half percent which is more than double right or at least just about double the um the average term which is which has been three and a quarter percent so no bueno joe biden not to mention we have a border that continues to just allow people in turn a few away but allow a lot of people in um it seems like they can't figure out how to secure the border they can't figure out how to take control of the situation because they probably don't want to take control of the situation i mean that's just to name a few uh the uh looming issue with with uh, our national debt with the massive spending i mean there's so many things here and uh of course Biden thinks that everything's hunky-dory. Meanwhile, you have the Biden-appointed border czar. And what's she doing? Well, she's going down to uh, south of the border, but she's, or maybe to Arizona, but she's not going uh, any further, and she's definitely not going to the border. Listen to this. You decided not to visit the border. Can you tell me why? I am here to talk about what we are doing around bringing down the cost to American families and creating jobs. Let me say on the border that it is one of our highest priorities. Do you have any plans to visit the border in Arizona? I've visited the border. I will not on this trip, but I I have, and I will again. So she's... I think this is the funniest one, right? She says, well, I'm not on this trip. Uh, On which trip have you done it? She hasn't done it at all. I remember uh, it was probably a year year ago, maybe. Yeah, just about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago when she, uh, everybody, oh, uh, she's going to Texas. She's going to visit the border. She went as far as El Paso and she didn't get any closer. So not happening. This seems to be um, their, their standard their standard operating procedure. We're not going to go to the border, right? They're not going to just the one trip that Biden did where they cleaned up everything days ahead of time. Now, Biden continues to talk about how things are going good. And he's got his team of economic advisors out there saying that, you know, listen, um, the problem with us having debt, this massive national debt, it's coming from the government, not raising the revenue that they need 
by taking your money through taxation. So, I mean, these are the types of advisors that Biden has. Imagine if you were to try and live your life by trying to balance a checkbook or saying, all right, well, I got to pay this much in a mortgage or in rent. I've got to pay this much for my this or for my that. And, you know, to get to work, to this, whatever. You make your budget. And then and then all of a sudden you realize, well, I just don't have enough to do all of that. What do you do? Like me and like everybody else, you try to live within your means. But not our friends in the government, in the Biden administration in particular, because they decide, no, no, no. The, the problem here is we're not we're not collecting enough taxes. We've we've got to collect more taxes. I don't care if you gotta raise them, collect them, hire eighty seven thousand new agents. We've gotta get these taxes. Listen to Jared Bernstein. Check this out. The tax story really needs to be discussed in the context of how do you pay for your spending obligations? It's the very first question you asked me today. Where does all that debt come from? It comes from not raising the revenues that we need to meet our obligations. Now, let's not forget the debt ceiling is backwards looking. It's paying for obligations uh, that uh, Congresses and presidents have voted for in the past. It's paying your credit card bill. It's paying your mortgage. And to not do so is, of course, uh, reckless, feckless and uh, irresponsible. It's reckless and feckless to not raise enough revenues. So just imagine that. Imagine in your household, there's a, maybe one income, maybe there's two. And let's say one of those incomes disappears. Maybe somebody loses their job or whatever, what have you. What, what do you, do you just start to say, well, that's reckless and feckless. I mean, obviously people are going to look for another job. They're going to rely on savings, whatever it is. But the government just says, no, this is reckless and feckless to not be taxing people like crazy. You have so many obligations. You got to get with it rather than saying, Hey, look, tighten the belt. We can't meet the obligations. We're going to have to trim some fat off of our government. Maybe we won't do build back better. Maybe we won't do the American rescue plan. Maybe we won't do whatever, um, any of these uh, fancy catchphrases that Biden has. I mean, is it just me that thinks that way? I don't know. And, and then, of course, they want to put pressure and say, but it's the Republicans that want to cut Social Security. It's the Republicans that want to do this, that, and the other. But it's clearly Biden's economic advisors that are telling him they're not taxing enough. They need money. And they're going to try and get that money wherever they can get it from. And they'll try and blame it on Republicans. But mind you, the Republicans only have, oh, but so much power in the House. So if, if this is to happen, it's got to get signed by Biden. So I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't trust everything that uh, the Biden administration is saying right now, especially when it comes to Social Security and whatnot. And former President Trump weighed in on this on a video he put out on True Social. Check this one out. Under no circumstances should Republicans vote to cut a single penny from Medicare or Social Security to help pay for Joe Biden's reckless spending spree, which is more reckless than anybody's ever done or had in the history of our country. Biden has blown out the federal budget, wasted trillions on left-wing lunacy and the ridiculous Green New Deal, which is a tremendous problem and embarrassment to us, and thrown open our treasury and our borders to migrants from all over the world. So keep that border open. Keep everything the, the, the way it is, right? That's Biden's plan. And uh, let's keep taxing and spending every last American so that we can fund things for all of these people that are coming through the border. So we could fund things for every last government person who seems to never have a problem, right? People who work in the government, they get like unlimited time off and they also have um, every, every benefit that's available, right? And I'm not trying to trash anybody working in the government, but I am saying it's not the same real world that, that truck drivers live in or that people that work in a hospital live in, those, those people are faced with cuts. When, when something doesn't go right, there's a cut. When gasoline goes up there's, or, or diesel goes up, this affects them. It affects their lives. It affects their, their livelihood. These things 
have minimal effect on people that jump on the metro and go one or two stops to go work on the hill somewhere. That are the people making these decisions. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, I want to talk about, speaking of Capitol Hill, I want to talk about uh, what was going on today with the annual uh, March for Life. So we're going to get to that and a couple of more topics as well. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, talking about the March for Life today. Carol Tobias, welcome. Thanks, Rich. It's great to be on with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, sticking around and, and staying up late to be live with us. And um, on, a, on a big momentous day, right? I mean, this is uh, the first March for Life that follows the uh, reversal of Roe. And i um, looking to get uh, your take on, on that and a couple other things. It was a great day. I think a lot of people at this time last year just assumed that we would be marking the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and instead it was a celebration of life. This was the first January 22nd without Roe v. Wade. Uh, so the crowd, I think, was just very uplifted and encouraged and excited about the possibilities ahead. Fantastic. So let's. Uh, did, did you find that there were more people, less people, more enthusiasm? Are people saying, oh, look, we've overturned Roe, it's time to stay home, less activism? Or are people saying, you know what, we've overturned Roe, there's a lot more to do? Oh, it's definitely the latter. Uh, people were very encouraged and upbeat. It was a huge crowd today. Um, I had, you know, I uh, saw even one reporter saying, this was larger than last year. And she seemed kind of amazed, thinking, well, if Roe v. Wade has been overturned, why would anybody bother to, you know, come back to the annual March for Life? Um, but it was it was a huge crowd. And again, it was full of young people, um, grade school, but a lot of high school and college students. Um, it was just a great day. And yes, everyone, I think everyone at that rally knew that we have a lot of work to do. Overturning Roe was not the end. It was the beginning of our possibilities of protecting unborn children in various states uh, using various methods. So, Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, what is the next step uh, in continuing your fight? Uh, being that Roe has been overturned, what, what is the, um, the next step? Well, in some states, I think we will be able to pass, you know, we, we've already got, uh, I believe it's 13 states now that have very good legislation protecting unborn children, and most abortions are not being performed in those states. We have a few more states that I think will be able to pass some legislation um, probably this year to protect unborn children, but then we have a lot of states that have gone in the other direction, uh, allowing abortion unlimited abortion throughout pregnancy for any reason 
And in some of the states, they're willing to pay for it. They're even willing to offer, you know, legal protection for abortionists who might come to the state. Um, So the country is very divided right now. And I think our biggest challenge is changing hearts and minds. We need to convince people that the unborn child is a member of the human family that needs and deserves protection. And we also have to work with the moms, hold their hand through what might be a very difficult time for them to assure them that they're not going through this alone and killing their child is not going to solve their problems, but we are going to be there to, to work with them and, and walk with them through, um, through this time. Yeah, and I think this is, uh, I think is and will remain a contentious debate. Uh, one I get into all the time. I'm, I'm a father of two daughters, and I've never been a woman. Uh, but people, you know, when I when I argue with them about this stuff, the, the question always comes to me, and I'm sure it comes to you as well, where people say, "But look, you know, if it were one of your kids or or anybody, any young girl that that ends up, um, you know, uh, with child." Her, her future's ruined. It's all over for her. But the magic answer is go to Planned Parenthood and, you know, 15 or 20 or half a minute, half hour later, she's okay. And now she can, you know, have her career and do what she's got to do and not be bogged down with children. And this seems to be the the latest um, cultural phenomena that, that children are a weight on society as opposed to a blessing in one's life or family. And and I just find either you're with it or you're not, right? I don't think there's there's too much gray area. What do you find when you speak to people? I think to some extent we are selling women short. Um, they have been told, unfortunately, by the abortion industry for 50 years that if they have a child, it's going to interfere with their education, with a career, um, with you know, a lifetime of happiness. So the easy solution is just to, you know, get rid of that unborn child. But, you know, if you look a woman in the eye and say, you know what, you can do this. You're strong enough. We're going to be there with you. We're going to hold your hand. We're going to help you, you know, with, with the services that you need. And that's why the pregnancy centers around this country are so great uh, in doing that. We've got several states stepping forward with programs to help you know, make that decision easier so that she does choose life for her child. Um, But I I think to tell a woman that, you know what, unless you kill your baby, you can't succeed, you can't get a good education, you're going to have a terrible life, um, that's selling her short, and it's also just a horrible way to to treat any woman, to, to make her think that she's not worthy of, you know, the the challenges that might be before her. Right. Or, or positioning those challenges as really, a, to me, a, a blessing of life, right? To, to be able to have children and to, to, to go in that direction. I've, I've met plenty of people that want children and aren't able to have them. And it's just, I find it's just so interesting. And sometimes I think, well, we're not always going to agree. And I think you, you'll, every coin has two sides and some people go one way and go the other way. And that I, I just, you know, I, I always have a, a tough time reconciling how, you know, people, why don't people see things the way I do? <laughs> and I realize, you know, not everybody's <laughs> right. going to see things the way I right. do. Uh, so now let's talk about the, um, the individual states. Do you have any particular states where you're planning on, on focusing on in the months to come? Well, since legislative sessions have just started and some of the bills may have been introduced, some of them have not. I, I guess I'm reluctant to get out front 
and talk about something that's happening in a state if, you know, a legislator wants to do that, you know, himself as the sponsor of the bill. Um, but I, I think there will be some states that have some good legislation. Uh, some of it will be protecting unborn children. And I'm also seeing in some states efforts to uh, pass legislation that will provide more support for a woman. Um, you know, we've already got some some great laws in place in various states like Texas and South Carolina have programs from their state health department that would allow um, or uh, you know, make available nurses to come into the home for the first year or two years of the child's life just to wow. do basic health and wellness checkups, you know, if that's what the mom wants, that, you know, someone to kind of reassure her that, oh, yeah, that's normal, or maybe that's something we need to check out. Um, we've got Missouri with a, you know, show me health, the, the show me state. So show me healthy babies. And they've got a program to, to again, help, you know, with moms and babies. Uh, states like Oklahoma and um, Arkansas doing an Every Mom Matters Act. You know, we're going to pull together all the information that's available of resources, both from private and public sectors, that women might be able to access if, if they need extra help or, or want extra help. Um, Mississippi has uh, tax credits for donations to pregnancy centers who are helping these women through a difficult time. That I think there are so many different programs, both to help the moms and to protect unborn babies, that I'm kind of excited to see what we can, you know, what's going to come out of some of these sessions. Outstanding. Folks, we are on with Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, uh, NRLC.org. And uh, we're going to come back straight ahead with her. I want to have uh, ask a couple more questions and get your take on a couple of things. If you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez, 8334-VALDEZ. So um, don't go anywhere because... We're just getting started with Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. 
at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number is 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Carol Tobias. She's president of National Right to Life. And Carol Tobias, I'm looking at this article uh, that I find very interesting. And since you're our authority on this, I'm going to run it by you. It's from Catholic News Agency, and I think it's from today or yesterday. And the headline is, Is Free Childbirth the Next Step for the Pro-Life Movement? And basically they're saying that childbirth in America should be free. And this is according to two prominent pro-life leaders on both sides of the political divide. And that federal funding uh, of all baby deliveries and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and it goes on. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it should be federal funding for every child born. Um, but this idea of paying for um, the baby, I hear this argument a lot. People say, oh, you don't want abortions. Oh, then, then you pay for those kids. And, and I'm thinking, why? I don't pay for anybody else's, else's kids except my own. Why, why would I pay for the ones that get to live? It's like the only option is to die if, if I choose not to pay or if we're not going to tax this child's life. I just find it so bizarre. Uh, how do you react to that headline? I know that there are very strong opinions um, in in some circles that Yes, if if a woman is going to have a child, then we should do everything we can to to help her. You know, cover expenses, um, make make everything as easy as possible. I know that there's also you know. Let me just a large jump in there because I want to that, clarify. That's great, when, when, but let's let's do it when, to the private sector, not public. That and that's my question. Like, if a church group, if a if a private organization says, "Hey, we're going to help you," then hey, amen, God bless, hallelujah. But I don't think we could turn around and say, oh, this is the government's job, and now we're all going to share through that in uh, by way of taxation. So great, great point. What I, what I think we would likely see is programs that would help, I'll just say, low-income women. You know, if if having the child is going to be more difficult for them, then, you know, I think we would – we're going to see some programs that would uh, maybe free up some resources and, and – help her a little bit more, but I doubt it's going to go to the point where all childbirth is, is going to be um, free or paid for. Right. And, and, and in that vein, I mean, all health care for any individual, whether you're a man or a woman, if you qualify for Medicaid or, or your state health insurance program because of your, your income situation, those are benefits that you're entitled to. So I think, you know, if you fall into that group and you're a woman that's with a child, then you fall into that group. But if you don't, you don't. So I get that part, and I agree with you. I just think it, it's untenable to think that that's, some, that's a response or an answer to something. Um, now, moving along here, because I, I just I find that just so interesting and um, seems like a, a, a veiled attempt to socialize just about everything. When it comes to the, the this movement and the amazing work that you guys do as, you know, in your role as president at National Right to Life, how did you end up in this position? How did you decide, hey, I'm going to become a pro-life activist? For me, it was something that started back even in high school. I happened to see... Uh, and I don't know that it's even in print anymore, um, but it was a flyer that on one side had beautiful pictures of, you know, a developing baby, and you open it up and the other side has pictures of an aborted baby with, you know, arms and legs, and it was just a, a very graphic picture mm -hmm. of a baby after an abortion. And I just thought the contrast was so horrible. And I thought, how can you do that, you know, to a, an innocent little baby? 
and I think that was just kind of the start for me. So I've actually been involved since um, maybe the you know last year or two of high school, uh, and which is means I've been around in the movement for a long time. Um, but I truly just do believe these are innocent human beings. They have as much right to life as anybody. Um, just because they are small and vulnerable does not mean that they are disposable or inconsequential. Um, this is the civil rights issue of, you know, not just the 20th, but you know, now the 21st century. And I just, I just feel like that's my calling. I need to be in there fighting for these innocent little ones. Well, I think that's a, it's a, an amazing place to be because uh, I think you have to be called to this. Uh, this is probably the most um, divisive topic in, in I guess, American discourse, political discourse, um, at least from my opinion and from where where I'm positioned. Um, nobody mm-hmm. gets as angry at these at than than at this topic. You know, it's always heated. And 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 that was kind of the follow up question I was going to ask you was, you know, when you're out there doing what you do, how do you stay enthused? Um, in those moments of burnout, or do you not get those moments where you say, ah, you know what, this is too crazy, I'm out of here? It occasionally comes, but it doesn't last long, because if you are in the pro-life movement and working with pro-life people, I I just, I consider myself really so blessed, because pro-life people are loving and compassionate, hardworking. Um, Everybody that I've ever met, I would say, has a great sense of humor um, just wonderful to work with. I have so many great friends and so many people that I just love and treasure because of their heart for humanity, you know, not just the little ones, but they're also going to be the ones that are going to, you know, help a woman across the street if she's, you know, using a walker and want, you know, we don't want her to get hit. Um, if it's a, a child that's in the hospital and, you know, Someone's raising funds because the child has cancer and the family needs support. I mean, it's just pro-life people love human beings. They love other people. So it's just it's hard for me to get out of the movement because I don't want to walk away from the people that I have come to know and love uh, in the movement. That's fair. Folks, we're on with Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, NRLC.org. Straight ahead, we're going to get to your calls and more with Carol. Uh, phone number, if you want to get in on this, it's 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. To the phones we go, Ted in St. Robert, Missouri, KTTR. Ted, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez and Carol Tobias. Hi, Rich. I enjoy the show. I listen about three or four nights a week on the way home from work. Thank you. Carol, it's nice that you're on. I just wanted to voice my two cents worth as far as maybe I'm all for saving children, but maybe encourage, and I, and I admit to coming in, I only got about a 15-minute drive home, so I may have missed it, 
and I apologize if it's been mentioned already, but about planning for children, maybe waiting till later, till school's done or college, whatever it may be, and encouraging people to plan for children rather than it just happenstance. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, even if it's happenstance, I'm all for saving the children. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate it. Carol? Um, that would be wonderful, uh, and I think certainly much more ideal and helpful. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, I don't know how you make that happen. Um, I don't know if you can have classes in school or parents just talking to their kids, encouraging in them, you know, don't take any chances that are going to, you know, end up with you getting pregnant um, or getting a girl pregnant. Um, that would be great. And, and certainly I would agree with you. That's that's healthier and, and I think better, but it's going to happen. You know, we're going to have kids that um, end up with a, a, a baby and we have to we have to deal with it. Now, Carol, when I, I spent some time working in state government uh, in Jersey, and I remember working with a great group of um, professionals, health professionals, and they were working very diligently to put abstinence education in every classroom they could find. And it was um, it was interesting because they, they promoted it as just like a healthy relationships program, but it was really centered around abstinence, and it wasn't branded as abstinence, but a lot of places really... Um, bought into it and said, you know what? Yeah, because there was, you know, some peer reviewed data and some uh, other um, I'm forgetting uh, the term, uh, but um, scientific. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. But the point was they, they were very supportive of it. And they said, you know, this stuff is great. It seems to be working. There was uh, a lot of uh, support for it. And I, I think if that was happening in New Jersey, is that happening all across the country uh, from what you can see? No, I, I think more we are seeing kids being pushed into sex. If it feels good, do it. Um, you know, here's a condom, here's the pills. Um, I, I don't see kids being encouraged to use um, restraint or maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want it, do it. That, unfortunately, I think that's more the message that our yeah. you know kids are getting in today's world. Yeah, and I've seen that as well. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen stuff coming, especially out of the western states. A lot of uh, I saw one curriculum where somebody sent it to me said, "You got to put this out there and get let everybody know about it." And, and it was a school curriculum, public school curriculum. I think it was middle school, might have been um, or ninth grade, and it had just different exercises in this like um, black and white picture book, saying, "You know, explore your bodies, go with somebody, same sex or opposite sex, doesn't matter." in a really large pair of sweatpants and just both of you get in the sweatpants together and just see what happens. And I was like, well, why would, why on earth would teachers tell kids to do this in, wow. you know, in ninth grade? And, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's scary, but these things are, are, are happening. And I know they're happening in places. It, this was in Oregon, uh, where, where they sent this stuff and some local channel eventually put them on blast. I don't think it changed anything, but at least the parents knew and they were able to, you know, raise hell and say, Hey, what's going on. But I, I feel like, that's definitely happening, uh, but it was encouraging to see, and it was 10 years ago where they were pushing these abstinence programs, but I, I just, I was curious to see if that were the case. Let us continue. We have another caller for you uh, where Frank from Canton, Ohio on WINR has a question. Frank, welcome. You're on with Carol Tobias and Rich Valdez. It's an honor. Hey, Likewise. Uh, I'm an old man. 
I'm 75 years old. And, you know, kids know what sex is all about long before we even start teaching them. It's a natural thing in both man and beast. But they're not being taught self-control and responsibility for their actions and the consequences. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, so that's the real cause of the problem. And we're not, we're not being responsible. And people like Playboy and Penthouse and da-da-da-da-da and glorifying women, you know, gets everybody worked up and foaming at the mouth. And people get lonely. And they want a relationship. And it's only natural to move into a sexual relationship with somebody, whether they're thinking of marriage or not, because it's I love you, you love me, and let's let's do it together. Let's get together and feel good. And that goes on in teenage years, okay? And and, and they don't have to be taught that. So what are we mm-hmm. doing to tackle the cause of morality in our children? All right, Frank, thank you. Carol, what are we doing to teach morality? Um, not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need, I think, churches to step up, but there are a lot of people that don't go to church, and they would make fun of that message. Um, but I think there are just a lot of healthy aspects of abstinence. It would be great to get some of those programs into the schools. Um, I just don't know at this point if the, the schools are, are willing to do that. That's going to take parental involvement uh, with the teachers and the school boards uh, pushing that you know they want their kids to get a better message than they have been receiving. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. It's one of those things where you, you, the, these programs, like the one I referenced before, uh, they're out there and they're trying to get grants and they're trying to do what they've got to do, but they're small and, and they're fledgling and, and they're they're not in uh, the mainstream by any means, uh, but they're out there. And I guess it's up to people uh, who who have a stake in this and who feel like you know they're part of this movement to say, you know what, we're going to help these organizations or these people, whether it's uh, abstinence type education uh, or, or anything else to, to try and, you know, right the ship. Because to me, I think that what, what the Frank just described is, is a bigger problem, right? It's not even just abortion. It's not just a pro-life issue. I think you see it in New York city with crime where you're seeing young people, very, very young people, mainly young men ending the lives of other people over the silliest things because there's just no value for life. And it's, it's a morality issue. It's, it's not, you know, crime is, I guess, at the top of it, but um, or is what we see. But at the top of it is really, I think it's a morality issue. So uh, we'll continue this discussion and, straight. And, and, just a, and just a lack of respect for human life. Yeah. And, and when you and, start getting getting into the violence and other things that are happening, life just isn't precious anymore. It's the lack of respect uh, for for humanity and for life. And I think they're they're one and the same, but they're not. I mean, I just a separate story that comes to mind the other day, a kid squared up to his teacher in school and the teacher punched him in the face. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, that that's bound to happen when you continually disrespect people and they feel threatened. Even if you're 15 years old, eventually, if you look for trouble, you're going to find it. And I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that's going to be the outcome. And it's that lack of respect that we're seeing that's becoming a trend and becoming normalized in society today that we see play out in so many different areas. So um, that was actually a really good point. Um, Don't go anywhere. I've got to take a quick pause. We'll be back. 
uh, with uh, Carol Tobias, and we'll take a minute just to share your website and where people can find you, and we'll wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Our guest is Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. And, Carol, we have a, a caller. I may not be able to get to him because for the interest of time, but uh, Al on KLIF in North Dallas, he wants to know when people started advocating for abortions. What's the history on that? I think there have been um, some people for many years thinking or pushing abortion. Uh, I think it can go back to Margaret Sanger back in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were some throughout the uh, ages. Uh, Guttmacher Institute is used to be the research arm of Planned Parenthood. They're now on their own. But they were named after, I believe it was Alan Guttmacher, um, who was a strong proponent of abortion. Um, so they've just kind of always been mm-hmm. there. Um, it's just that after 50 years of abortion, America was just kind of conditioned that if a woman sure. has an unexpected pregnancy, she can get rid of it and support just kind of grew or at least people didn't oppose it. And let everybody that's listening know how they can follow you and support the work that you're doing at uh, National Right to Life. Well, our website, as you've been um, saying so wonderfully, nrlc.org, um, and we have affiliates and chapters in all 50 states. Um, if anyone's you know interested and wants to get involved, we'd be happy to, to plug you in with a group that's um, already doing something. All right, and is there a Twitter or social media presence? Um, yeah, at, Twitter will be at nrlc, or uh, mine is at Tobias one um, we're on Facebook, you know, National Right to Life, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you know, I think we can you can find us at, on on all of the social media platforms. I would just look for either NRLC or National Right to Life. All right, well, give her a follow. Check out the website. I think you're doing some amazing work. It's important that we um, we pay attention to to what's going on and support those that are on the front line. So, Carol Tobias, I thank you. Really appreciate you being here with us tonight. Thank you so much, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, and God bless. Now, straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation, and we're going to get into a couple of things. Let's see here. Um, Ah, it's a book called Fireproof, and the author, David Hollenbach III, and he's a former fire chief. He's a former veteran of the United States military, and he's... um, He's got a lot of things to say about success. So we're going to get into that as well. I don't want you to miss that. Now, if it sounds like I'm talking funny, it's because I can't hear anything. (laughs) Anyway, we will uh, fix that during the break. 833, the number 4 Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Don't go anywhere because we're coming right back.
Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and our telephone number is 8334-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join the conversation. And I want to get into uh, the the topic that I teased just before the uh, the end of the last hour, which is our guest. His name is David Hollenbach, and he's with hollenbachleadership.com. He's written a book. And the title of the book is Fireproof, Your Grand Strategy for Transforming Failure into Fuel for Your Future. And I think this is the type of stuff dreams are made of, right? Because oftentimes, you know, we sit here, we talk about politics, the news, and some entertainment stuff. And a lot of times, it's not always happy. (laughs) And sometimes it's kind of negative. But you look at a story like this and you say, man, this is really good stuff. So uh, David Hollenbach, welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to jump right into this. I I see here that you were a fire chief and you served in the military. Uh, What made you decide to, rather than just, you know, kick back and enjoy retirement and, you know, just hang out, to decide to get into doing this leadership work and personal development? Well, a large part of my career in the fire service was doing leadership development. I had built a program for the department that I was with, uh, you know, early on when I, when I first got promoted to Lieutenant, I quickly realized that I was, you know, maybe a little bit ill prepared to lead the people that I was in charge of, uh, many of whom had more experience, more training, more education and, you know, the fire service arena, um, and definitely more seasoned. And I, I was thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, you know, I, why couldn't I get a crew with a bunch of rookies on it? Uh, I got some pretty well seasoned people and, uh, I, you know, of course asked myself why in the world would they listen to anything I had to say? And, um, and that was the beginning of my leadership development journey. And, uh, and the program that was built, it, it's still, still going. Uh, when I left the fire department, it wasn't really uh, what I wanted for my life at that time. Um, I, I worked in some pretty rough parts uh, of town and I've seen a lot of pretty horrible things. And 
and it took its toll. Sure. I, I didn't uh, do a lot of whole, uh, self-care. Um, so towards the end of my career, I was struggling with PTSD and I was making some poor choices in my personal life. And, and that ended up affecting my career. So when I left the fire service, um, I came really close to becoming a statistic. Hmm. And uh, if not for uh, a picture of me holding my daughter on the day she was born, stuck to my visor, um, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And uh, I didn't follow through. Uh, and felt that, you know, I got to get some help and and I got help. And once I got through that really dark period of my life, I I realized that a lot of those lessons that I learned coming through that were pretty valuable. And there were some people that just to interject, you're saying chief, the lessons that you learned, uh, from going through this tar- tough time where you nearly became a statistic, this dark place, or the lessons you learned throughout your career in the fire service? Well, throughout my career, yes, but more specifically in, in that dark period. I see. I, I think I, I'm sure that you would agree that a lot of the most valuable lessons that you've learned in your life came from making a, a bad decision or, you know, messing something up, you know, you, you make mistakes in your life and you're not, and you don't want to repeat them. Those That's are for sure. Some pretty valuable. Right. And, and so in, in that time of my life, I was making some poor decisions. They were, they were driven by emotions and just really uh, hiding from, uh, the the pain that I was feeling, the, what I was, a lot of the stuff that I was struggling with, um, and I just wanted to feel good. So you know, you, you drink and uh, you just hang out with people that you think are going to make you feel good, and 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 it, it only it, helps for a little while. Serve me well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and it, it it's not uncommon. It, it's very, very common in the fire service and law enforcement and in the military. Um, it, it's part of the culture. You, you cover up or hide from those emotions when the best thing for you is to, to deal with it, uh, learn from it. And of course we all make mistakes and, um, and it's, it's, one of the big messages in my book is you don't have to allow your mistakes to define you. You can use those experiences to refine you, to make you better, to make you more valuable to the people in your life and the people that are going to come into your life. 
Let me ask you this, because this is I think there's a lot of people listening that whether they were cops or firefighters or whatever it is, just going through COVID. A lot of people said, you know what, Um, I'm depressed. I don't like what's going on. They're they're drinking away their feelings. They're eating away their feelings. They're doing all sorts of things to forget about the way they're feeling. And you're saying you you went through the similar experience because of the, the trauma of working in the fire service, but you made it through. And again, the title of your book discusses how you turn these failures um, into fuel for your future. So how did you make that leap? What, what, is, uh, what was the first step you took? What did you do? Well, one of the biggest things was uh, extending myself some grace. You know, there's, there's something that I teach in a lot of my leadership courses about self-leadership being the most important component of being a good leader. And part of being an effective self-leader is recognizing when, when you're struggling, when you need to, to take a break and, and maybe talk to somebody or, um, you know, share with, with some of the people that you've gone through these horrific calls with, um, some bad experiences, because you're not alone. And the problem is, is that when we go through that and we're struggling with our mental health, uh, what I found to be extremely common is that you isolate and you you tell yourself that nobody could possibly understand what I'm going through. All right, I'm the only um, one. Yeah, you know, there's all these people that I, yeah, uh, you know, I was on this call with all these other guys and they seem unaffected, but they're struggling too. Uh, and they're just, you know, I, I, I look back and I feel like I led a lot of people down the wrong path by being so stoic and acting like these things didn't bother me. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm trying to get out there and, and tell people that that's not the right way. Sure. Um, now, what, you know, let me ask a, you this. A lot of research. <laughs> right. Well, based on this research, what's, what's the top piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's listening to you right now and thinking of buying your book? Uh, they're, they're relating to what you're saying. What's your number one tip for them? Know that you're not alone. There's a ton of resources out there. Um, there's a lot of a lot more people that understand where you're at right now than you could realize. I've been there, and and it took uh, really being scared uh, about you know leaving my daughter behind uh, to to you know get me motivated. To, to crawl out of, out of that hole. But I had to really uh, extend some grace to myself for the mistakes that I had made. I had made some poor decisions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. When really, did you start making the right decisions? Well, you know, I have to say that through extending some grace to myself and recognizing a lot of the uh, really great things that I've done in my life. I've helped Mm -hmm. a lot of people. I've developed a lot of incredible leaders that I'm really proud to associate myself with. 
And, um, and I know that I've touched a lot of lives and I know that there are veterans, law enforcement officers and firefighters that are still alive right now because of talks that I've given, um, the podcast that I host, uh, I, I've, what are some of the tips that you could give the listeners that are listening right now? Uh, some concrete tips that they could use if, if they're in that moment, they realize, okay, I'm not alone. What, what do you recommend they do? What, um, you know, if they pick up the book, what's one of the tidbits they'd get out of it? Well, you, you've got to, you've got to find your purpose. Mm-hmm. And one thing that through, through studying philosophy and world religion, I, I found that there's this common thread throughout human history that every culture finds a way to, I don't know, define purpose or meaning in their life. And it's, and it's always in some form related to adding value to your, your fellow human. Um, to the community, to your family, working really hard at developing yourself so that you're more valuable to the team. And when you can add value to somebody else uh, and you see them succeed, that in and of itself gives you purpose and, and, you know, can provide happiness and fulfillment that right now maybe um, you, you can't experience or, or even fathom that you could experience fulfillment because of where you're at right now. All right, amigos. He is David Hollenbach. The third, the book is fireproof. Your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future. Uh, former chief Hollenbach. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. It was, a. uh, an interesting look at what happens when you, you know, to, to the heroes that are out there and realizing that, you know, everybody has those moments. Uh, check out the book. It's called Fireproof. Again, your strategy, your grand strategy for transforming failure into fuel for your future. David Hollenbach, I want to thank you for being with us tonight, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, sir. All right, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue on this topic uh, in terms of what people should do in those moments of despair, as well as the news of the day and your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. And, you know, people, whether the heroes out there, those that are serving in uniform, they they need to to let things out every now and again, right? And it's it's critically important. 
uh, and it's important that that they they do the right thing, and w- they do, and it's messed up when people impersonate them and do the wrong thing. Listen to this: an Ohio woman stole five hundred thousand dollars of veterans' benefits by impersonating the dead mother, by impersonating a dead mother. Excuse me, and she was spared from uh, a prison sentence here. And I, I don't know why. I guess because she's um, 76 years old, they had some mercy. Her name's Irene Farron, 76 years old of Cincinnati. She pled guilty last August to theft of public money. She was sentenced on Thursday to a year of home detention and five years of probation and also must repay, listen to this, $461,780 that she improperly received. Now, Farron's mother had received widow's benefits since the death of her husband, an Army veteran who fought in World War II. When her mom died in 1973, Farron did not notify the VA officials, instead forged her mom's signature on the monthly checks, and federal prosecutors uh, said that this is what she did in order to do it, and she continued this uh, fraudulent paperwork with the VA from 1982 until 2017, to keep the theft going. Isn't that crazy? I can't believe you get to steal that much money and you don't go to jail. Only in Ohio. <laughs> in 1973, payments were 250 a month, but they steadily increased. By 2021, the theft was discovered and the monthly payments were about $1,360. Wow. That's just amazing to me. I mean, uh, it doesn't surprise me. It's one of those things where I say disappointing, but not surprising. I mean, it's just, it is what it is, right? I'm sure she's not the only one doing that. I'm sure there's a lot of people forging signatures for people that are dead to keep getting checks. And it's, it's, it's just amazing to me. Now, switching gears a little bit. This is an interesting story along the same theme. Again, people, uh, people need help. Whether, whether you're, whatever your walk of life is. People, uh, more so now than ever, right? I think COVID really increased uh, depression all over the place. I mean, I, I see people all the time and they're like, oh, I was just really down because of COVID. I'm like, wow, just another one. Everybody was all messed up. And a lot of people are doing therapy and therapy blew up because during COVID, nobody could go anywhere. So people started doing therapy online and uh, like video chat type of thing. But some places were doing it by text. They're like, oh, you know, if you can't video chat, just text. And I remember hearing about this and seeing it in the news, but I'm looking at a story today or yesterday, NPR, listen to this, therapy by chatbot, the promise and challenges in using AI for mental health. Now, this is interesting because the other day we talked about using AI for a lawyer when you go into the courtroom uh, to fight a traffic ticket. Now we're talking about using artificial intelligence for your mental health counseling. Come on. You've got to be kidding me. So we're going to touch on that. Plus, there's another story about AI, and uh, we're going to get to that. This one's going to blow you away. We'll do that uh, right at the uh, at the top of midnight uh, of that third hour. So don't go anywhere. Uh, up next, we're going to continue our conversations uh, with uh, my friend, Zen Sams. She's out of New York, and I think you're going to be really interested in what she has to say. Don't go anywhere. We're just uh, halfway through right now. So 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Looking forward to chatting with Zen. And then it's open phones at the top of the next hour. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night.
I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and as promised, our guest is Zen Sams. Now, Zen Sams, you may remember her. She um, went through a very personal ordeal with Harvey Weinstein very long time ago. Uh, she's also a, a big radio host in New York City. Zen Sams, welcome to the program. Hey, Rich. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for staying up late. All right. So I want to get to look. I, I did this search on, on some Weinstein stuff, and I'm looking at all these different headlines here. And I, I see that he was convicted on three of seven charges about a month ago, um, just a couple of days ago. Yesterday, one person, uh, another survivor of his was uh, out there saying that, you know, he primarily preyed on women because because of 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 his his power. Uh, but I'd like the audience to get an understanding of, of your story and as comfortable and as able as you are to tell it. Well, listen, make no mistake. Harvey Weinstein is a convicted rapist and he has ruined hundreds of women's lives. And there's been I mean, we've heard these harrowing testimonies from all these brave women that have continued to show really what you see, this devastating pattern of his abuse. And a jury of, of, let's not forget, 12 people has found him guilty of rape for the second time. And there should, whatever, for whatever the, the headliners are out there right now, Rich, there should mm-hmm. be no question of his innocence or the victim's motives any longer, right? So that's a fact. I mean, the defense had the same victim-blaming tactics as they did in New York, right, as they did in L.A. They had in both the same capacity. But let us celebrate, first of all, the survivors and the silence breakers who endured the re-traumatization in the pursuit of justice. That's extremely important. And it's very important. Um, it's very important for the trial to, to really go forward. And this is going to happen this February. My personal experience dates back to when I first arrived in New York City when I was recently signed to um, Elite New York under Monique Pillard, I was, a, I was a, a very young adult, and I met Harvey Weinstein. He sponsored my visa. He went on to play the powerful producer route. And as he sponsored my visa, I was remember, I came here from Montreal, Canada when I was very young, and he played, he played up the card. There was numerous instances that I was uh, in, in, in a situation that was extremely uncomfortable with him, let alone sexually assaulted by him. And even though I was not one of the victims that took the stand, consider myself a survivor, I really, the days of the Harvey Weinstein will never, ever leave my memory. Um, the things that transpired in between all of our meetings, and it's, and again, this is this is not about being a victim or playing the victim card. This is about experiencing it firsthand, not even wanting to be part of the news cycle of it all, but knowing exactly how this man's psyche works. And so at the end of the day, when when you look at Harvey Weinstein and you look at who he is and the power that he has, I mean, by all counts, 
this person is a narcissistic sociopath who to this day is proclaiming his innocence. So it, it's extremely important that the trial in L.A., and I want to, I want to shed that light, you know, mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein will be sentenced on three counts of rape and sexual assault in L.A. on February 23rd. He's now 70 years old. He faces up to 18 years in prison on the charges. In addition to the 23-year sentence he's already serving for his conviction in New York, his lawyers had initially asked that he be sentenced uh, this past Monday, but they asked for a delay last week to give him extra time to to give the team extra time to file a motion for a new trial. All of this is delaying the truth. By all counts, they're going to likely spend, he's going to, he's going to likely spend the rest of his life in prison and his defense is going to likely spend as long as they can to try to get him off, but they won't. But even with a second conviction, Rich, survivors of sexual assault are, are, are very weary of celebrating this split verdict where a jury found Weinstein guilty of three charges. But listen, they acquitted him another and were deadlocked on three more. So the, so let's, let's go back. The three charges on which Harvey Weinstein was convicted are extremely significant. He faces a maximum sentence of 18 years in prison after being found guilty of forcible rape, forcible oral copulation and penetration by a foreign object. These are extremely serious charges. He's already serving a 23-year sentence in New York, in New York, right here, where he was found guilty of rape and sexual assault. And yet, the jury's verdict indicated that they could only unanimously agree on charges pertaining to only one woman. So there was a woman by the name of, we'll call her Jane Doe Number 1. They acquitted Weinstein on the felony charge associated with Jane Doe Number 3, though the jury was deadlocked on the misdemeanor sexual battery charge with with really a far majority of jurors believing Weinstein was guilty. Then when Mm. you go down and you look at it, Rich, the breakdown of the hung verdicts indicated that the jurors were leaning towards a guilty conviction. And there was another woman, Jane Doe number two and Jane Jane Doe number four. But they couldn't come to an agreement. And this resulted in a mistrial on those charges. In other words, here's the bottom line. The stark reality is that the jury only entirely believed one woman in the L.A. case. That means that that of the women that took the stand, they only fully believed one. Well, what does that mean entirely for the case? Well, he was brought into court. First of all, let's let's go back. He was brought into court on the wheelchair, the whole the whole look looked like very pitiful. Right. He was he was in a jail jumpsuit. They, they dressed him to look sad and pitiful, losing his teeth, the whole thing, right? It's a whole pity look. But when he spoke briefly, he was very, very, his eyes were very detached. Um, th- there was no emotion. He went on to just repeat the same things he did over and over again in the last couple of years. And really, at this point right now, you look at this man and he's still maintaining his innocence. He's still saying, I'm innocent. I didn't do any of this. What does that say to you? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're looking at Harvey Weinstein and you have all these women with the evidence surmounting against him and he's still maintaining his innocence, that's sociopathic behavior. And this is somebody who experienced this devil firsthand, legitimately experienced it firsthand, never wanted to, to seek attention for, from any media or anybody for that matter. But I know firsthand what he's capable of doing. And I would not be coming out and saying this as a mom 
as, as a radio host, as a television host, as somebody who's very well respected in my industry. But there's a lot more to the story than what we see here. All right, America, we're on with Zen Sam's, a moment of Zen.com. Check her out. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation, and I want to get into some other topics uh, as well. So if you want to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. And uh, my guest is Zen Sam's uh, Canadian model turned media mogul. You can check her out at a moment of Zen.com. She's the host of a radio show out of New York called a moment of Zen. Now, Zen Sam's uh, switching gears a little bit to what's going on in New York. Earlier, I went to TMZ just checking out the news and I, I see political people at the top of the page. Uh, I saw Hakeem Jeffries and he's talking about George Santos. And then I see a big picture of George Santos. And I'm thinking, why is George Santos uh, on the cover of TMZ? (laughs) But apparently he's all over the place. And um, he said it was unthinkable that he'd ever been a drag uh, queen. Uh, Then there's a picture of him. I I, I don't know the authenticity of it. Uh, But it seems like there's a 2008 pic where he is dressed in drag, taken uh, at a pride event in Brazil. Uh, I don't know what any of this means but uh what's your take on on this stuff uh zen sams i can't i can't even first of all i can't even believe that that this this person represents well listen representing new york city's you know new york's third district is a big thing but he's under like extreme immense scrutiny i think over the past two months almost for just lying across the board, misrepresenting his education, his work, his family history, you know, including falsely claiming that he was Jewish and, and, and the descendants of Holocaust survivors. I mean, this gets even worse. So, yes, he's worthy of being on the cover of TMZ and all that scandalous stuff. But he, but he also faces federal and local investigations into, into the campaign finances. I read that, too, today. So now they're, they're, they're looking further than just the, the drag queen stuff. But he did admit to embellishing his resume. He has maintained that he's not a criminal, so we have to put, put that out there. But li- listen, Rich, he's, he's an out gay man. He was identified by, by a longtime local performer, who, this girl by the name of Katara Ravachi, who says that Santos, without a doubt, performed as a drag queen. So right now we, we have conflicting information. We have Eula Rochards. She posted a picture of herself with another person in drag who she alleges was Santos at a Rio de Janeiro area, you know, parade festival. And in an interview with CNN, this woman said that 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 it's Santos in the picture, without a doubt, adding that she knew him from LGBTQ events that he attended in the town of Niterio, which is near Rio de Janeiro, where she she where she said he was a well well-known gay in the community, apparently. So, you know, these stories are coming out, and every day we hear something different. But the fact that she said she recognized him from 
from a recent news report. And then she went back and she dug up old pictures. That's how she put one and one together. And then she said that she was, you know, surprised that he was a Republican. Quite frankly, I'm surprised that he's a Republican, too. You know, Zen Sams, I look at this and and I'm of two minds, right? The first part I'll say is, you know, I remember uh, the the scandalous story of a congressman that uh, a gay congressman that was running a prostitution ring out of his apartment in Washington, D.C. And whenever I talk about this, people always say, what are you talking about? That never happened. Sure, it did. Congressman Barney Frank. And it was a whole big thing. They arrested his live-in boyfriend. Right. And that seems to have come and gone. And there was not, you know, whatever happened, happened and nobody talked about it. But now we've got George Santos, and it seems like they're going to a very extreme lengths to prove and disprove so much of anything. Now, I think he also is, is like the, the master of trolling here when they say, hey, uh, George Santos, have you ever been a drag queen? Nah, never. <laughs> right now, I think this is. And again, I don't know, but I know that uh, for these pride events, people get dressed up all the time. They put on feathers. Straight people are putting on feathers for these things. So I, I, to me, it doesn't surprise me that if he was dressed in drag at some pride event or whatever the case is. And why is it a big deal? Right. I mean, if that's what the guy does, that's what the guy does. I, I don't endorse it. I don't do it. But my my thinking is, you know, if it were anybody else, if he were a Democrat, nobody'd care. But now because he's gotten caught out there with his embellishments and lying on his resume or whatever and what have you, now we don't have, uh, you know, any more um, mercy on the guy. Now it's, you know, keep going. I'm looking at a piece right here. It came out an hour ago. Daily Beast, right? DailyBeast.com. The headline here, George Santos planned an engagement party with a man while he was married to a woman. And it goes into now he was married and then he got divorced. And he uh, invited his friends to an, his engagement to 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 a man, and it, it's just I'm thinking this is one of those things where this this has nothing to do with the other thing. But I guess if they're trying to make the point that he's a liar, and, and I, I have to think this is political in nature. This isn't about seeking the truth. Since when does the media do this to anybody else to find the truth? Why isn't the media doing this to Joe Biden to find out the truth about these classified documents that they've covered up for 68 days? So I don't think this is about the truth. I think this is about destroying one more Republican who seems to be pretty weak. The Democrats smell blood in the water and they're going after him. So McCarthy can have one less vote. Definitely the weakest link. Definitely. But you know what? You know what we're going to do, Rich? You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep making fun of it. You know, let's see how closely you've been following. Let's see how closely you've been following the news. OK, so I'm going to we're going to do a quiz. OK, and this quiz right. was recently published on Gotham. Are you ready to play? So go this for is it. The Santos quiz. Here we go. OK, number one, Santos described himself in the following ways on the campaign trail. But only one of his claims appears to be true. Which one? Are you ready? A, he's Jewish. B, he's Catholic. C, He's a championship-winning volleyball player, or D, he's a landlord. Hmm, I'm going to go with Catholic. That's right. Santos' family is ding, Catholic ding, ding, ding. and reportedly attended services in Queens. There we go. Number two, in 2008, it gets better, Santos faced criminal charges in Brazil. What did prosecutors accuse him of? A, shoplifting for, for a cosmetic, from a cosmetic store. B, using a stolen checkbook to buy clothes. C, impersonating a politician or D getting into a bar fight after a pride parade. 
All right. Um, I am on the fence here between the checkbook and the makeup. Uh, I'm going to go to my producer. Tell me in my ear, do you you think it's checkbook or makeup? All right. We've decided on checkbook. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. In 2008, Santos was accused of stealing a checkbook, and he subsequently spent $700 in a clothing store. And he was deni- and he actually, in fact, denied that he ever was charged with the crime. Of course, wow. not surprised that he denied it. Number three. Well, Zen Sams, exactly. before you get to number three, let me. We gotta hit this break real quick. We're gonna come right back with Zen Sams. You know her from a moment of Zen X E N dot com. A moment of Zen dot com. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our guest is Zen Sam. She's the host of A Moment of Zen. You could check her out at amomentofzen.com. That's Zen, X-E-N. Now, Zen Sam's, we were doing this quiz that you have proposed uh, to me on George Santos, which I think was very funny. And uh, and for the record, I've interviewed George Santos a couple of times. And uh, just about a week or three ago, when this whole thing started, uh, I sent him a text message and said, hey, can you come on the show? And in the interim, our producer had reached out and gotten a commitment for him to come on the show. And then moments later, he texted me back and said, hey, I can't come because I'm not doing interviews right now. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, hope everything. Happy New Year or something like that. And uh, I was like, all right, no problem. Uh, and I haven't heard from him since. And George Santos, if you're out there or if any of your, his friends are listening, let's get him on the show. I want to talk to you. Let's clear the air. Anyway, Zen Sams, we were at question number three. Go right ahead. Question number three. Are you ready? All right, here I'm we go. Ready. Santos repeatedly claimed his mother, Fatima, was in the Twin Towers during the September 11th terrorist attacks. Recently discovered immigration documents shed light on her whereabouts that day. Where was she? A, Queens. B, the South Tower. C, New Jersey. Or D, Brazil. I'm going to go with Brazil. There you go. Immigration <laughs> records show she said she was in Brazil. You got it right. Trying to get, in fact, the U.S. government to issue her a new copy of a stolen green card. Ding, ding, ding. Wow. All right, here we go again. One more. You ready? Get back. Yeah, this is the last one. This is all factual. This is edutainment. Let me tell you right now. We are, <laughs> edutainment. We are, this is edutainment in quiz format. True or false? I love it. Tattoos? was accused of taking $3,000, $3,000 from a GoFundMe campaign raising money for a surgery for a disabled veteran's German shepherd. We're talking about a dog. Mm-hmm. Or false. Was he accused I, of taking I, the 3000 I believe that's true because I've been hearing it for a week. Well, the dog is a pit bull mix. Rest in peace, Sapphire. So I'm going to have to go with false. It was ah. not... A German Shepherd. 
<laughs> All right, Zen Sam, Bye. stick around. We're going to hold you over to the next segment. I want to continue this conversation because there's a horrible story about little kids that I want to touch, uh, touch on. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Our guest is Zen Sam's, a moment of Zen.com. And it's Open Phone America. Make sure you give us a call, 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ. Rich Valdez, America at Night. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And some of you guys know me as your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Others of you know me as, well, I'm not even going to say. But I will say that our guest is Zen Sams, and she's the host of A Moment of Zen. We also have Open Phone America that's kicking off right now, open phones across America, where you get to weigh in on our late-night town hall. This is America's town hall where you get to chime in and just tell us what's on your mind on everything we've discussed and so much more. The number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. Now, Zen Sams, I want to present this headline to you to get your reaction. It's uh, out of Fox News. It reported just a little while ago. Georgia couple is accused of sexually abusing adopted boys Husband bragged about molesting the son, according to this report. This is first of all. I'm. A, I'm. I, I want to just. I'm mm-hmm. going to say this out loud, but like you know, when you just want, when you regurgitate and you want to just throw up in your mouth, that's what I feel like <laughs> doing right now as a mother. This yeah. is the most Listen, disgusting story I could come across in a headline, and the fact that these two men where a gay couple makes it even worse because now you know what's going to happen, Rich, right? You're going to get all these extremists that are going to come up and they're going to say, this is why gay people should not be adopting children. And that couldn't be further from the truth because this is just one bad actor that's going to poison the well for everyone else. All right. So they've been charged with molesting their adopted sons, which means that these two little boys already had a life of hardship. So now they get adopted and, and, and this gay couple from Georgia is now charged with molesting them. So William is 35. That's one of the dads. The other dad is Zachary. He's, thir- he's 33 or whatever, 33 and 35. Doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Barely old enough to even understand what it means to actually raise a child. Because let me tell you, it takes decades and decades to understand this. You know this better than anyone mm-hmm. else. It's a sensitive matter. But but let's let's just go back. So... One of them is a banker, right? This guy, Zachary, is a banker. And, and William, he's a government worker. So picture perfect. They adopt these little boys. Everything is great. But guess what? Back in August of this year, they get char- they, there's charges of incest, aggravated sodomy, aggravated child molestation, felony sexual exploitation of children, and felony prostitution of a minor. These are insane charges. So now we have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old and two older men involved in a pedophile ring. What? How does this yeah. even happen? 
How does this even get cleared in America? How do we take these two little boys that needed the love and support and, and most, most importantly, the security? And our system literally just dropped the ball on these two little boys by allowing these two men to adopt these children. Where were the background checks? Where were the psychological checks? First of all, one of them, when, when you look at the, the entire situation, one of the men, Hunter Clay Lawless, was a 27-year-old man. He told investigators, he was one of the men involved in the pedophile ring. He told investigators that Zachary, one of the fathers, whose Instagram bio describes him as Papa, who are two wonderful boys and an activist nonetheless, actually invited him multiple times to take part in sexually abusing the boys. This is actual fact. So now this government worker, this father, has admitted to forcing one of his sons to perform oral sex on him with the intent to satisfy his own sexual desire. What the hell is happening in America, Rich? Seriously. You know, Zen Sam's, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I did a... uh a segment on this program, and I, and I did it on my podcast as well. This is America with Rich Valdez, and it was about this doctor who had adopted fifty six boys and admitted to having sex with three or four hundred, in addition or including. And this is a there's a sick practice and a sick subculture in in our society that's amongst us, and we think it's sick, and they think it's normal. And this doctor, he went on to say crazy things. I don't know if we have that audio. If we do, it would be great to play it. But he said things like, um, you, you're not right if you're not having uh, intergenerational sex in your family. You should be helping what? your parents in their bedroom because helping your parents uh, in sex, that's what families, that's what builds strong families. This was a pediatrician. Who addressed Stop the Ameri- it right now. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, and he addressed the American uh, Pediatric Association as a, a top speaker. Um, his name was Gajasek and uh, Dr. Daniel Gajasek. And it, it just it's gross and disgusting. I want you to listen to the clip. I've got it queued up. Listen. With three or four hundred boys who had sex with me from eight and ten and twelve. 100% have run into my bed, jumped in without my mentioning it, and asked for sex. I have never asked for it. I've never, and most of my friends, don't you realize that I was jumping in people's beds hoping they would take me? All boys want a lover. That's, really? um, that, that, that is this guy, Gadjasek. That's a clip from a BBC documentary. Is this disgusting. isn't new. This is not new. This is this guy was doing this in the 1950s. He's dead now. Uh, and and this, this film came out in 1996. But the point that I'm trying to underscore right here is that this is a thing. It's a thing it's that a thing. exists in our society that people like you and me don't realize. But as a dad, I've always tried to protect my children from. And clearly, even the one guy who was participating with them, uh, this guy participated and then said, oh, you know, I, I've got a, you know, uh, he ratted him out or whatever it was. But this is some really sick stuff. Zen Sams, it's not just what's happening in America today. It's, I think we're becoming more accepting of it in the name of whatever, in the name of same-sex marriage, in the name of this, in the name of that. And people are are taking, in my opinion, turning a blind eye. That cannot happen. Childhood used to be a time of innocence, Rich. 
But as our culture has become more and more sexualized, children have become the casualties of adult exploitation, and it needs to stop. The New York Times just reported that more than 45 million online photos and videos of children are, you know, being sexually abused were reported by tech companies more than double what they found the previous year. So in culture, education, and healthcare, American children are also increasingly targeted for sexual messages, images, and themes at younger ages. And this is not okay. And, and sometimes this is even supported by taxpayer money through government-led initiatives. Our culture is saturated with sexual content that was once considered too risque for children. And only social media has accelerated the spread of pornography to young, young viewers. And this is not okay as a mom. I, I will not say that this is a norm. I will say that this needs to stop. And of course, if you look even further, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they themselves reported that in the United States, 42% of children between 10 and 17 have viewed pornography online. How oh, is this I know. Possible? I saw something like that. It's horrible. And social media has become prime hunting ground for sex traffickers, Rich. I mean, in 2019, Instagram was reportedly the leading social media platform for child grooming by sexual predators. What does that say to you? Recently, you can look at more stats. A recent poll of 2000 teens found that nearly 75% had received pornographic direct messages from strangers, even if they had a private account. And 55% of victims of sex trafficking back in 2015 met their abuser through a website app or a text. So this is going serious if you look at the stats. So the sexualization of children is occurring in brick-and-mortar spaces, too. Truthfully, if you look at it, drag queen story hours. Have you, he have you heard of that? Drag oh, queen yeah. story hours in which cross-dressing adult entertainers interact with children in taxpayer-funded local libraries. This is appearing across the country, Rich. This is not cool. As a mom, we need to put, uh, well, and as a dad, you, you know, we need to put a stop to this. And it, it almost has nothing to do, or maybe it has everything to do with the political parties. I don't know. Listen, I'm a Republican, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and at times I will say to you that I'm not proud of the way that the Republican Party has conducted itself. I mean, look at the George Santoses of the world, right? I get it. <laughs> But at the same, but at the same time, good old Mitch McConnell. Yeah, same, right, right. Exactly. Well, we could go further, but we're, since we're talking about like these these discrepancies here, but my taxpayer dollars should not go to fund local libraries where I have drag queens reading to my kids. It's just not the way it's going to go for me. Not as long as I'm an American. So somebody needs to put a stop to this and go back to the grassroots of where we are and where we should be as a society to teach our children and to not only just teach our children, to teach ourselves what's right and wrong and what's socially acceptable and not. Because we've gone rogue. Like, we at times don't even know what's right and wrong. And that's not good. We question ourselves. Well, maybe we should be accepting of this. Maybe we should be accepting of that. Maybe this is normal. Maybe this is okay. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. None of this is okay. We need to go back to some grassroots parenting and to some grassroots ideologies so we can get this nation back on the track that it should be. Because as of now, we have fallen off the wagon, dude. Fallen off embarrassment big time 
All right, everybody, that's Zen <laughs> Sams. Boy, we wound her up. <laughs> now we're going to let her go. Zen Sams, uh, you'll, you'll see her on Fox and Friends uh, in a couple of hours. Zen Sams, uh, uh, host, excuse me, of A Moment of Zen on the radio in New York. You can check out our website, a momentofzen.com. Zen, I want to thank you for being with us. Thank you for the commentary and for your passion. Thank you, Rich. You're the best. Have a great night. You too. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We've got calls from New York City, Reno, Nevada, Jacksonville, Indiana. I didn't even know there was a Jacksonville, Indiana. Look at that. So we're going to continue taking your calls straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, I'm going. All right, welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez, and uh, it's open phone, America. The calls are there. We're going to get to them in a moment. I just want to... Uh, you know, uh, I mentioned something earlier, and I want to put a pin in it because I, I talked about this doctor. It's real. Uh, I guess we can call him a real uh, degenerate scumbag. If I guess we could call him Doctor Daniel Carlton Gajasek, or Gajasek if you do the soft J. Anyway, um, he he raped and molested. Um, I don't know. He said hundreds of kids that he had sex with. Fifty six of them were were like adopted children of his that he brought through some program into his home and uh, he, he's dead now, but he only got a year in jail and listen to how fervently he believed in this practice of having in incest and having sex with children. Check this out. It's what I consider a normal family. He pushes and pushes to help mother, please. And when that happens, you have endearing families for life. If you want tender care from your children, if you want them to wipe your ass, you're 90 and you're demented if you want them to stick around when you're sick instead of putting you in an old age almost everybody here doesn't ever visit them if you want the family to stick together you have to have intergenerational sex intergenerational you heard it right there if you if you want your children to take care of you you have to rape them what he calls intergenerational sex you have to have incest I mean, and again, why am I talking about this? Because there's a story that came out about two hours ago on Fox News, and it was out earlier today on other outlets. Uh, Georgia couple has been accused of sexually abusing their own adopted boys, their own two sons. The husband bragged about molesting the son, according to uh, the court papers. And uh, there was a quote I had highlighted here. Let me see if I can just give it to you really quick. Where did it go? According to the indictment, they uh, they have a a statement from the gentleman named Lawless, who's no gentleman. He's another scumbag. Uh, but this guy, Lawless, 27-year-old, he told the police that he received numerous Snapchat messages from Zachary, one of the dads, which allegedly said he was effing his son tonight, telling this guy, Lawless, to be prepared to get images and video documentation of the sexual abuse uh, abuse of, of 
Again, two sons, one third grade, one fourth grade. And this is according to the state's court documents. Um, and these men met randomly on a app uh, for, for it says a gay hookup app called Grinder. This is a real story. I'm not making it up. I mean, this is scary stuff right here. And um, I'm, I'm kind of lost on this one. Uh, and when you hear these guys like Dr. Gajasek, who was talking about this 50 years ago uh, or 70 years ago, and now you've got these guys that are living this right now. Houston, we've got a problem. Let us go to Nick in Jeffersonville, Indiana, AM 1450. Welcome, Nick. Uh, thank you, Rich. Uh, picking my jaw up off the floor after hearing about the doctor there, but uh, about the two boys that uh, were in the foster care, I heard they've done been turned back into the system already and are up for, I guess, adoption by somebody else. That's horrible. And it really is horrible. There's, you know, it's, they fall into problems because they're into this, in the system. And then uh, they're in the system and that's it. That's what we've got. Now we're back in the system. So Lord knows where they end up, these poor kids. And this is, uh, to me, it's a huge problem, right? And again, another top line problem here. When I was a kid, uh, this was well already happening, but the idea was still a remnant in our society that we as a community would support our local church and that our churches supported orphanages. And that was a, a once a, a, a thing of charity in society. Today, orphanages have fallen by the wayside. They're not typically run by most churches anymore, at least in, in where I live. Uh, it's the state. The state has become the new orphanage. And, you know, I don't want I don't like trusting the state with renewing my driver's license, let alone the the lives of small children, Nick. Um, I'm right with you on that. I just uh, I don't know what's going to become of them. But I like I said, I'm going to be praying for them and hope they get a good family that really loves them. Amen to that. Well, I do appreciate your call from WXVW. Uh, and that's uh, 1450 in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. And yeah, like you, it's rare. I'm at a loss for words, but I am. We are going to continue taking your calls uh, straight across the nation. What I want to talk about in the next segment is artificial intelligence. Is it taking over everything? Because this is interesting to me. I, last week, there was a, a story about an AI lawyer. You know, go to court and you bring this thing, put your Bluetooth headset in, and the lawyer, AI lawyer, not a real lawyer, an AI lawyer is giving you advice on how to get out of your ticket. Then I see a story here. Uh, about, here's the headline. Therapy by chatbot. The promise and challenges in using AI for mental health. So imagine that. Having a bad day. Uh, let me uh, just use a chatbot, not even a human being. Plus, one of them saying... They're even writing sermons through AI. This is crazy. I want your thoughts on it. 833-4-VALDEZ, Open Phone America, coming up right now. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Only halfway through.
No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're talking about artificial intelligence. I just wanted to put point out a couple of stories here because there's uh, this one story in NPR that says that people are now using chatbots, artificial intelligence, to get therapy. And um, this is kind of crazy in my opinion, uh, but there's others that are using it for all sorts of things. Here's the other one. Look at this. Uh, the, another AI uh, debacle. The United States Marines defeat a DARPA robot by hiding under a cardboard box. Now, you know, uh, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency where they do all of the crazy stuff. It's like where the deep state was born and lives. And um, it, it sensed people, this, this robot, and the way they beat it was by using a cardboard box to conceal themselves. Isn't this crazy? Yeah, they invested some of their resources into a robot that's been trained uh, likely, among other things, to identify humans. There's one problem, though. This thing is easy to confuse. Uh, an Army veteran and former Pentagon policy analyst is gearing up to release a book called Four Battlegrounds and uh, talks about how this thing is um, just, it's not quite what it, it uh, appears to be. And there's a picture here, and you see the the Marines are there, and there's they're easily sneaking up on it. Uh, because the machine won't notice that they're humans because they're inside of a cardboard box. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Uh, then there was this other story uh, with respect to artificial intelligence. It says that that ChatGPT, that's an artificial intelligence company, is listed as the author on research papers, and many scientists disapprove. There's at least four articles that credit this AI tool as a co-author. And publishers are scrambling to regulate its use. <laughs> and, and there's another article that says AI is being used by kids in colleges to write their term papers. And there was another one about, and I'll pull that one up and get in depth on that one, but sermons are being written and they're saying they're going to, they're trying to create an AI rabbi that can give a sermon. I don't know how they're going to do that. And I had the article in front of me as soon as I pull it up. Uh, I'll get into that. But I want to get to some of your calls uh, because I know that you've been holding for a while. Let's go to Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Let's go to Paul. Hey, Paul, what's going on? You're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, yeah, hey. that was interesting right there. Um, yeah, this, uh, you know, AI, whatever they call it. Um, but uh, anyway, m uh, my thing is with um, I think a lot of the problems these days are with like social media and so forth. Now, I've told you before, I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook. My wife gets immersed in Facebook. And, uh, you know, I just really think it's a problem. And I think it's leading to a lot of the problems for the, the youth of America. And, uh, I, you know, with, um, oh, who was the guy you had a lieutenant that was on there, uh, fire lieutenant. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, that's fire chief. He was depressed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollenbach. Just, uh, a segment or two ago. Yeah, and he was saying that he, he got in a depressed state, you know, because of, um, you know, some things that went on in his life, you know, and I can understand that. You know, I've been through it. and But I think social media, man, I, I just think, uh, I don't know, maybe you can control it or something. I mean, let's look what Elon Musk did. I mean, there are a bunch of liars, you know, and that's why I listen to radio programs like this to where I can well, get I the truth. Well, I thank you for that. 
Listen, I, I get you. Uh, I guess I, I look at this a different way because I think this does pose problems. I remember seeing uh, an article a couple of years ago, uh, or about a year ago, uh, where Facebook had become the leading cause of divorce. And, and I realized this is kind of like television, right? It's just the difference with television is that we kind of got accustomed to it to being a heavy item, a heavy piece of furniture. Then it became a flat, lighter piece of furniture, but it's screwed into your wall. And, and now we have Netflix or we have streaming apps that we can use in our pocket. And, and so I think it, it's not just social media. It's not just Facebook. It's not just Twitter. It's just the ability to do so much right from your pocket. And, you know, I, and I've, I won't share the entire story, but I, I once met Buzz Aldrin, uh, second guy to walk on the moon. And something that he shared. What? It's Buzz Aldrin's birthday. Happy birthday, Buzz Aldrin. 93 years old. God bless him. Well, let me tell you, I hung out with him once at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. We were in the green room together. And um, and he was telling me a lot of things. But one of the things he said was that he said, you know, that little phone. In, uh, we took a selfie. And 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 uh, the phone I had at the time, it was like a Motorola version of a BlackBerry. And but it was cool. Had a big screen, color screen. You know, that wasn't really the thing at the time. It was pretty new. And he said, the computing power in that phone is something like 10 times more than the computing power that they had in the Apollo uh, mission that they flew. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. It really was a fascinating concept to me to think that in my pocket, I had more technology than he had on a whole spaceship, you know, when he was flying on the moon. So this uh, it, today we're, we're probably 10 times ahead of that, right, with with the, the fast speed internet and everything. So I, I look at all that and I think now that everybody has this technology and you now have generations of children that were born with this technology, you know, they, they didn't grow up like me with big wooden TVs, still had black and white TVs when I was a kid. These kids, they see a screen, they touch it. If, if the touch screen, they're like, this thing's broken. What's going on? Is this thing on? And and I think that's part of what we're seeing, uh, Paul, is this change in, in technology and how they people bring it into their lives so we don't have to leave it anymore. It's not like, let me turn off the TV, I got to go to work. It's like, no, let me just take my phone with me and get on the bus and keep watching my show or keep streaming. I don't know if that made any sense, Paul. Yeah, and well, now who's saying it? Um, let's get back to the basics. You know. Well, I, I, I think you're saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was Waylon Jennings or Merle Haggard or somebody. Let's get back to the basics, man. You know, you know, that's all I've got to say. It's Friday night and I really you. enjoy your show. Thank yeah. you. So, and I like the basics. My call tonight. You're welcome. Yeah. I think that's why I like radio. Honestly, it's because it's basic. <laughs> it, it was before TV. It was uh, just an interesting format that, you know, they call it theater of the mind, which even if you're not telling stories or acting things out, even when you're just doing an interview, I think you, you when you watch TV, and I love the TV and I love the news programs, but I never watch the TV news and think I like I'm a part of the conversation. But when I listen to radio and I hear an interview or a really good commentary, I feel like that person is talking to me, right? Because you get to envision it in your head and you're you're really a part of it, especially when you can pick up the phone and join the conversation, which you can never do in TV. So if you want to do that, go right ahead. 833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, 833-4-Valdez. Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Thank you, brother. There is more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more on this AI debacle. Plus, there was a story about cannibalism coming up in the 
court uh, proceedings of Mexico's top cop. We'll see if we could fit that one in. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez taking your calls. Open phones across America. Open phone America uh, tradition here that we will continue to maintain, letting everybody all across this wonderful country sound off. Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and you're taking the show to new heights. Fantastic job. Oh, thank Uh, you. I want... Yeah, I want to say concerning the artificial intelligence, I think it's dumbing people down. The more it does for your brain, you know, writing papers for you, doing everything that normally you would have to figure out yourself, I think it's going to have a dumbing down effect. The less you do with your brain, the less it develops, especially with children. It's kind of like paint by numbers for the intellect. Yeah, that's a fascinating point. And, you know, if you were to argue that... um and which you are, but I'm saying if you had to make a paper or make a presentation, you could use, there's a bunch of data right now that shows that we get dumber every year as it is. So, I mean, it probably wouldn't take too much to tie that into AI or a million other things like the weakening of our education system, making it softer and softer, where we have to continue to import people in the hard sciences, uh, sciences like the uh, STEM areas. We're, we're in bad shape. We import just about everything. And when you look at some of our America's home to so many large tech companies, there is no Google in India. There is no Google. I mean, it might be there now, but it didn't start there. Right. There is no Google or 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 any of these other big companies, Twitter, all these places were born in the United States. And it's fascinating to me. Apple Computer, IBM and Dell. I mean, you just it's endless. And today, everybody in in those organizations is imported. Because they have the superior intellect. They have the superior training. Americans have become incredibly soft on, on the, the hard sciences and the STEM areas. And same thing in hospitals. You know, you see less and less American-trained doctors. And there's multiple reasons for it. But the bottom line to me is our education system has been dumbing people down. And AI, I agree with you, Sarah, is going to continue to dumb people down. Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. That's a very trenchant point. So you're doing a great job, and I'll let you go so other people will get on. Thanks a lot. You bet, Sarah. Thanks. Enjoy your weekend. Let us continue. Where are we going here? Let us go to uh, Diana, Sholo, Arizona, 880. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, how are you? Wonderful, thank you. What's on Sarah, your mind? Oh, I was just listening to your um, channel, and I just found it very interesting because I had a conversation with a friend of mine today, and um, we were talking about, you know, how the older generations are kind of not well with the younger generations, and, of course, technology is a huge factor in that, of course. But I think that, you know, we've really lost a lot of human connection, and... um, I saw a quote on a movie, uh, on a book on a movie, and it said, inequality is the basis of society. And um, I find that to be actually very true, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. 
and I appreciate that point. Uh, sadly, this is what happens when when I think depravity kicks in and people just stop caring. When people don't give a damn anymore, this is where where we reach. And and it's it's a sad it's a very sad sad thing. It's a sad place to arrive at, but it seems to be the place we're at, Diana. Yeah, and I mean, technology is so great for so many things because it's actually you are able to educate yourself just by googling something, and you don't have to you know go to somebody you know to ask uncomfortable questions. So in that way, it is very good for the youth to be able to research things, but they're not being. Um, guided correctly or even monitored most of the sure. time and they're and so they're misled very easily you know just like adults get into these rabbit holes on youtube they'll find something that they're interested in and then click on the next thing and the next thing and the algorithms are set right. up and, and that's the, to- that's just to chime in quickly that's really the big difference here right is that years ago uh, if you wanted to go to the library and take out four encyclopedias and just start reading, you know, through the alphabet of encyclopedias, you were controlling the information that you put into your brain. Uh, but when you're on YouTube or even Google, you know, if you there's things I was seeing just yesterday, things you put into Google, and it just brings you s- some different place, and it only gives you the information that they prefer for you to have. And, and this is a controlled environment. It's very much like you would see in Cuba or anywhere else where people would look for information where they have like one TV channel that tells one side of the story. And uh, last night there was a story that came out and I talked about it with one of our guests, um, uh, Cong- Congressman Ken Buck, about his book on big tech. But it was an ABC7 story about a, a young lady in Long Island, New York, and her parents were suing Instagram because they said that she started, you know, just friending things uh, or liking and and viewing things about um, Webkins and that somehow that brought her into a rabbit hole of w- girls that were saying, look, if you want to have a flat stomach and blah, 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 here's what you got to do. And if you're going to throw up and make yourself gags, this is what you got to do so you don't get caught. And, and just finding websites that were promoting eating disorders. So the parents are now suing Instagram. And when I posted the story online, a lot of people um, responded to me saying, um, this is not Instagram's fault. This is the parents' fault for not monitoring what their children are ingesting, the information that they're taking in. And I, I say, yeah, I agree with that. But I also agree that these kids are going there with the expectation that they're looking at, you know, information that's free-flowing, that it's not being geared toward them with these algorithms that you just mentioned. And that's sadly, that is exactly what's happening. But Deanna, thank you for the call. I'm going to take a quick pause right here. We're going to come right back with the rest of your calls uh, from the Philippines, New York City, Reno, Nevada. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Let us go to Manila, Philippines. Check in with our buddy Gil. Gil, how are you, sir? Bien, bien, gracias, Ricardo. Muy bien, gracias. Uh, Buenas anyhow, noches. I, I uh, you know, I, I listen uh, every, it's a daytime here. It's uh, almost two o'clock. Oh, wow. Uh, what I wanted I'm to say was, afternoon drive? 
That's so cool. I'm afternoon drive in the Philippines. Go right ahead. I'm I'm blind. I can't drive anymore. But uh, uh, listen anyway. Uh, we have a situation here that's quite different than the United States. You were talking with your last guest mm-hmm. about uh, breakdowns in our culture and and uh, uh, breakdowns in the in the norms. You know, this is very very much a a, a Christian country, a Catholic country. And the um, here, uh, none of the stuff that is now normal in the United States, such as abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, um, divorce, um, are legal. They're all prohibited by the law. Uh, that, not to say that abortions don't happen. If you got money, you can do anything. Uh, but um, that just doesn't happen here. And so these. So these how do you handle that? An issue. Well, uh, you get married here, it's... it's because just for the record, it's not married, legal to adopt two life. boys in the United States and pimp them out to pedophiles, rape them, and create videos. It's not legal here either. Well, I understand, and it happens here. I have a friend who's a judge, and uh, there were two mothers in her jurisdiction that were found um, uh, taking money and having uh, their uh, children... Uh, sex acts on the internet for people to watch and they were both sentenced to 12 years in prison so it happens but it's tolerated not tolerated good uh, by the law or by society right and i think that's the key right i think when you have more of a moral outrage when you when you you, these guys shouldn't be able, in my opinion, to talk on Grinder and be like, hey, I'm going to do sex with the, the, the adopted kid. Uh, the other guy should be outraged. But instead, it seems like he's into it, too, or he had second thoughts and told the cops. I don't know how that went down. But all I could say is that's disgusting. It's evil and it's immoral and it's horrible. I mean, I, I'm no saint by any means, but that's out of control. And nobody should tolerate that. You know, the society should be in an uproar. And, and you know, I don't know. I just think. We, we, we've become, I agree with you, uh, the society seems to have become very tolerant. And the Balenciaga thing, I think, woke a lot of people up about children involved in sexual acts and, and innuendos, but it, it faded away very quickly. So I don't know what we do from here, but Gil, thank you very much for your call. I really appreciate it. Uh, let us go to James in New York City. James, you got about a minute and a half. Yeah, always the, the old story, always at the end of the mule. Uh, look, uh, Rich, uh, I, I'm a veteran of, all, of talk radio in terms of as a listener and a caller. Over the last, ooh, I'd say probably 40 years, 45 years. And I can, I can gladly say that uh, I enjoyed it. However, the last, the last few years has become more of a more of a uh, family get-together, a barbecue, so that the the hosts who run the show can talk about their lawn, their backyard, their grandchildren, and so on, and skim over lightly the topics, and and take very, very, very few callers. Sorry, I'm not criticizing you for, for your style, but what I'm asking you to do is to consider the nature, the truth, the true nature. Go back and listen to those old programs and you'll understand what talk radio really was. Thank you. I thought you were going to tell me what it was like to be young in 60 years ago. I guess we missed out on that. Thank you, James. Anyway, uh, if you want to call and criticize me, you can, but you got to do it on Monday. Anyway, take care. Good night and God bless. 
This is America at Night. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 